can be seated. Well, good morning. A wholehearted and genuine welcome to you all. I call this place home. Welcome. I hope the Lord meets you here and you take a drink from the fountain of living waters. And if you're visiting with us, welcome to you as well. We're glad you're here worshiping with us. <clears throat> if you're brand new or newish here, I like to introduce myself. My name's Chad. I'm the pastoral intern. If you have any questions about our church, you can get with me after the service, or better, I could introduce you to one of our pastors and you could talk to one of them. Honored to bring the word this morning, and uh, would you please join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as your word says, and as Chase said, the day that you've made, help us rejoice and be glad in it. And Lord, because the gospel is true today and your mercies are new this morning, we, we can praise you and we can rejoice today. Pray, Lord, that um, you would be glorified in our hearts this morning as we have sung and now the word is preached. Pray that you would use me as a mouthpiece and a vessel to call your people to harmony. And uh, we do it to bring you glory, Lord. So I just pray that you'd glorify your name in the midst of Windsor Community Church and in our hearts this morning. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're continuing our series, sermon series called A New Community. These are sermons on the one another's of Scripture. We're not covering them all. I think in the first week, Dan said there's like 59 one another's or something like that. We're covering eight of them in this sermon series. And this morning, the topic is harmony with one another. I am a... Um, I'm a good candidate to preach this sermon. I knew that. And then Dan said it this week. He said, Chad, you're the man to preach this sermon, and here's why. Maybe in eight months of me preaching up here, you guys have seen that I'm a pretty passionate guy. I have deep passions and convictions, and I usually find myself on one end of a pendulum or another. Um, everything is a soapbox for me. I didn't know that until my best friend said it about two years ago. I said, well, I'm going to get on my soapbox about such and such an issue. And he paused me and said, Chad, everything is a soapbox for you. I was like, you're right. Uh, I will debate with you. I will argue with you why Tillamook ice cream is so much better than Bluebell ice cream. I'll debate with you on shoes and clothing and watches and just anything. I'm a person of passions, and I don't say that to talk about myself. I just wonder how many of you can relate. Um, do you, are you a person of passions and you find yourself on one end of a spectrum or another and maybe the Lord would use me to temper you this morning to, to seek harmony with one another, to give grace to the people who like Bluebell ice cream because they just haven't seen the light yet. So I hope some of you can relate. This sermon is for everyone, but especially for those of you like me who are on one end of a spectrum. So somewhat embarrassing, part of my studies this week was watching about 45 minutes of YouTube videos on the musical definition of harmony. Because when I hear the word harmony, I think music. And I don't know, I know nothing about music. I like music. I like, I like worshiping God through song just now. I listen to music, but I don't know anything about singing or playing music. If Oprah Winfrey came in here right now and said she's going to buy all of you a new car 
if I could just name one note on a musical scale thingy, you know, with the circle and the tail, say, Chad, what is that note? You guys would be frustrated at me. None of you would leave with a car because I don't know what an A looks like or a G or an E. I don't know anything about music. I know the idea of harmony can be understood if you don't know anything about music, but I thought it would be helpful to understand it musically. too. So more on that in a minute. Uh, our text this morning is, is Romans 15. I'll be preaching verses 5 through 7, but I had the Sarah, our reader, read verses 1 through 7 because I thought the context would be really important and helpful to us this morning, and I am going to reference it. I won't claim this to be an exhaustive sermon on harmony. I don't have time to preach a systematic theology on harmony, but it's a specific sermon on harmony from our text this morning. If you want to know more and you're a book nerd like me, I've brought two books to highly commend to you guys. Apparently, I didn't realize this, but I'm pretty passionate about this subject, maybe because I always am over here or over here. So in the last year, I've read both of these books, and I commend them to you. The first one is called Finding the Right Hills to Die on, The Case for Theological Triage by Gavin Ortland, And the other one is Conscience, What It Is, How to Train It, and Loving Those Who Differ by Andy Nacelli and J.D. Crowley. If you only have to pick one, pick Conscience by Andy Nacelli. Highly recommend it to you guys. That will be more of an exhaustive treatment than I'm able to give this morning. I want to start with a personal story, and I have to offer a caveat before I dive in. Um, it's a pretty self-deprecating story about myself and Stephen. And if you're new here and you don't know who Stephen is, Stephen was our drummer who was just playing right here. Um, I've asked him permission to tell this story, and he, he said yes. Uh, ever since this thing happened between Stephen and I, we both said that's going to be a sermon illustration someday. It's going to be our story for God's glory. So that prevents any awkwardness when it sounds like I'm talking badly about Stephen because I'm going to talk badly about myself as well. So hopefully you're hooked and you want to listen now. <laughs> uh, so many of you may know that I've been the intern here for eight months and before this, I was the pastoral intern at the Crossing Church. That's uh, one of the churches in our network. If you didn't know, we're in a network of churches called Crossway Network. And while I was the intern at the Crossing, my position was intentionally temporary. From the day it started, we knew it would be a two-year internship. And after the two years, I was either going to help plant a church or get a job, by God's grace, in the network. Praise Him, He provided that. Or even just start applying for various ministry jobs wherever. Stephen's position here at Windsor Community Church is permanent, unless, you know, he gets fired or disqualified, which I doubt will happen. Um, so at the end of my internship, it's, it's coming to an end, and I'm in this PLI class that stands for Pastors Leadership Institute, and Dan is one of the, the teachers of our PLI class, and, and he briefly mentions maybe me coming on board at WCC after my internship ends. There was uh, a lot of talks that happened after that, many months of talking, uh, me meeting Dan and the other pastors, and there were various times where the leadership of our churches would gather. We do this annual huddle where the pastors and the, lead, the ministry leaders and wives go up to the mountains and hear sermons preached, and we sing together, and we just connect, and we get updates on the network. There's a quarterly um, leaders meeting and all that to say is, is Stephen and I were, were kind of interacting at these Crossway Network um, meetings. And, and Stephen and I were, were cordial towards one another. We were friendly-ish. Um, but Stephen seemed a little standoffish 
and a little cold. I wasn't sure Stephen really wanted to pursue a friendship with me, and I mentioned as much to my wife, Audrey. And the truth is, and, and Stephen, remember, would admit this and has given me permission to share this story. Um, it's different with you sitting there. I'm going to stop looking at you. Um, Stephen was a bit apprehensive and insecure about me. He wondered why our church needed another youngish man on the team, and he genuinely wondered if his job was in jeopardy. And some of you may remember, if you've been here for more than a year, last August, I was invited to be the guest preacher here. Actually, Audrey and I attended this church for the whole month of August just to meet you guys and see the culture. And then I preached the last two Sundays of August of last year. And I remember an exchange of emails of Stephen, of us figuring out the preaching calendar. And Stephen said he wasn't able to preach those two Sundays. And at the time, we had the Saturday night service as well because he had his daughter's or his son's birthday. So when I came to preach on a Saturday night, my first time preaching for you guys, I saw Stephen here, and I thought, that's weird. This is his daughter's birthday party. And he said, Chad, we got to talk. And he took me into the nursing mother's room. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, we've only said hello six times, and we got to talk about, and isn't it your daughter's birthday? And he said, I had to leave my daughter's birthday. And before you preach for this body, I had to ask for forgiveness. Um. Stephen admitted his insecurity to me, his coldness, his standoffishness. He said he was sorry for not pursuing friendship and offering a welcome to me and trusting what God was potentially doing by bringing me to this church. And he asked for forgiveness, and um, I'm trying to hold back tears as I am now, and I wanted to hug him. We didn't because we didn't know each other that well. And I said, yes, I forgive you. And it was an amazing moment of reconciliation. And it was such a worshipful sermon for me. I hope they all are. But in that moment of just freedom and thankfulness and his humility and the gospel being lifted up, I was so thankful. Um, but it doesn't end there. Because Stephen isn't the only sinner in the relationship. I am too. So Stephen and I go get coffee a few weeks later. It's the first time we've been one-on-one. -on -one. And we're just like, let's share stories and I want to know you and who you are, and he wanted to know me. And um, he said something theologically that I misunderstood, and it freaked me out because of a past experience with the church. And I was too afraid to, to push into it, to have a dialogue with Stephen and to seek to understand. I just thought, oh, crap, um, we don't align very well theologically. And to be honest, in my heart, there was arrogance. Well, I don't know if this guy's up to snuff theologically, so I probably shouldn't plug in with this church. And so a few days later, I have a meeting with Dan, and he says, hey, I know you met with Stephen recently. How was it? And I said, it was great and awful. And he's like, whoa, what does that mean? Great, because Stephen's a great guy. I heard his story. He, I can tell he genuinely loves the Lord. He loves this church. He loves doing student ministry. But I don't know if he's up to snuff theologically. I don't think we align well enough if we're going to be like two of the main preachers at this church. And so thanks, but no thanks. I'm not going to plug in with you guys. It seemed Stephen and I wouldn't find harmony. We wouldn't welcome one another and that we would go our separate ways. And I'll finish that story at the end of the sermon. That's the end for now. Harmony is a difficult thing to live out, is it not? Even as Christians, even as aspiring pastors and now a pastor. We really saw this in the church during COVID, at least I did when I was at the crossing. But it's not like 2020 was the only time the church struggled to live in harmony. 
there are continual divisions in the church over politics, how to be pro-life, gun control, border security, to name a few. In our families, we may not have harmony over how to discipline your kids or how to educate your kids or how to balance career and parenting, how to create a family schedule. Are your kids super busy or do you leave a margin for mission? Theologically, we divide over social justice versus biblical justice, baptism, spiritual gifts, ministry philosophy, the sovereignty of God, men's and women's roles in the church and at home. Harmony is hard because even as redeemed people in whom the Spirit of God dwells, we have indwelling sin, and we still battle to put our own kingdoms to death. And the Lord Jesus Christ has called us to pick up our cross and follow him. And that's not easy, to die to yourself every day, to put on the new self and remember that our lives are not about us. Living in harmony with one another Pursuing it is a way that we love one another. Remember Dan's first sermon in this series was on loving one another. And it's the fountain from which all the others flow. We love one another by pursuing harmony with one another. We want to be a church that's known not just for our gospel doctrine, but for our gospel culture. Before we dive into the text, I want to answer two quick questions that came to my mind as I first looked at this text. The first one is, what is harmony? Specifically, the musical definition. Again, because I know nothing about music. And the second is, what's the difference between harmony and unity? I kind of thought they were synonyms, and I was going to preach a sermon and interchange those words. But actually, harmony and unity aren't the exact same thing. They go hand in hand, and I believe they're both in the text this morning. So first, number one, what is harmony musically? Here's where I'm bringing you guys in to 45 minutes of YouTube research. So I'm going to give you a a few definitions. I really think this is helpful for us. It wouldn't have made the sermon if I didn't think it was really going to be beneficial for us all. So here's the first definition. Harmony is what you hear when two or, or more notes are sung or played simultaneously. When played, the notes fuse together, and they sound very pleasant. Another definition. Harmony is a combination of simultaneous musical notes to produce chords that have a pleasing effect. Another one. Supporting pitches that accompany a melody. There's a new word. A melody that provides support and depth to the melody, but are not the main focus. The main focus in a song is called the melody. Or melodic line. There's a melodic line in every song. We could look at melodic line as a horizontal line. And harmonizing is singing or playing on either side of that melodic line. So it's a vertical line. It adds depth to songs. So let me synthesize for you the music lesson. Harmony implies differences and argues that these different notes sung or played together sound beautiful but are not the main focus. Brothers and sisters at Windsor Community Church, Jesus Christ is the melodic line of this church. He's the focus, and we sing in harmony with Him and with one another. So that's the first one, what is harmony? Second is, what's the difference between harmony and unity? These two ideas, as I said, go hand in hand. 
but they aren't the same thing. Unity means we're singing the same song. Harmony says we have different parts in the same song. We can't have harmony if we're not united. If we're singing different songs, we wouldn't say we're singing in harmony. We're singing different songs, and it probably doesn't even sound good. We have unity in Christ and in the essentials of the Christian faith, but we should be harmonious in our secondary and tertiary theological differences. One says it like this, unity of belief doesn't always necessitate uniformity of expression of that belief. Scripture teaches that everyone has a conscience. And sometimes our consciences as Christians will differ for reasons we might not understand till heaven. I wrestle with that. Lord, why do we have different consciences? Why do some people think this is wrong and some people think this is okay? And this is what Romans 14 is all about. And it's got to be mentioned for the preaching of the text this morning. But quick background of the whole book. The book of Romans is written to a church comprised of Jewish and Gentile believers. So Paul addresses many questions regarding the relationship between the law and the gospel, Abraham as father of Jews and Gentiles, and observance of Old Testament food laws, to name a few. Dan reminded us last week, since he also preached from Romans, that the first 11 chapters of Romans is gospel doctrine. In chapters 12 through 16 are gospel culture. In light of the mercies of God, how now should we live? And that's what chapters 12 through 16 seek to answer. And Romans 14 is a famous chapter on Christian liberty or the conscience. Paul says that people will have differing opinions on how they live out their faith. Some will eat meat, some only vegetables. Some will esteem one day as better than another. Some will esteem all the days the same. We could think of many more contemporary examples. Use of alcohol, child rearing, education, church polity, to name a few. In our differences, Paul says we are not to despise, pass judgment on one another, or cause one another to stumble. How did the church do in 2020 regarding masks on that verse? Don't despise, don't pass judgment, don't cause one another to stumble. It was rough at the crossing, to be honest. Romans 14 verse 19 says this, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And then again, Romans 15, 1 through 4. I'm going to read it again. It's important for our text this morning that I'll be preaching Verse 1, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now, when we read that, if you're like me and you're on one end of the spectrum, you you read verse 1 and you say, okay, there's strong, conscienced Christians and weak ones, and I'm one of the strong ones, and who are the weak ones? And maybe we need to wrestle with that, because there it is in God's Word, but I want to remind you, verse 2 comes right after it. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up, because that's what Christ did. So 
So the call this morning is to pursue harmony with one another, to live to please our neighbors, for their good, to build them up. A study Bible said it like this, gospel faith produces maximal regard for the good of others, not a relentless drive towards self-satisfaction through self-justification. My hope and prayer for, for us this morning is that we would continue to pursue harmony with one another because it glorifies God and is a means of endurance and encouragement. That's the point of the passage, I believe. So there's four points this morning in the message. We'll see the provider of harmony, the path of harmony, the purpose of harmony, and the pursuit of harmony. So first, the provider of harmony. We see that in the beginning of verse 5. It says this, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. Verse 5 and verse 6 are a prayer. Paul starts by describing a couple attributes of God, which theologians would call communicable attributes, things he shares with mankind. And those are endurance and encouragement. Having just finished preaching through the book of Hebrews recently, I don't feel a need to discuss the idea of endurance in depth. We talked about that many times in our last ser sermons in Hebrews. This by way of brief reminder, endurance means it's steadfastness, constancy. When used of a person, it means one who is not swerved from their deliberate purpose and loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials or sufferings. And encouragement, you may have heard defined as to put in courage, to comfort, consolation, exhortation. God is a God of endurance and encouragement. He's eternal, a perfect picture of endurance, and he's always happy in himself, in the members of the Trinity, and he's the source of our encouragement. And that's what Paul says in verse 4. He reminded us that Christ didn't live to please himself. And he attributes Psalm 69.9 to Jesus and says that the Old Testament scriptures were written for us that we might have endurance and encouragement. And the scriptures come from God. So our endurance and encouragement are part of the plan of salvation. The golden chain of salvation that we read in Romans chapter 8 says that God foreknows, predestines, calls, justifies, and glorifies his chosen people. And this guaranteed endurance is meant to encourage us. The hope of the gospel is not just a surviving life, but a thriving life, an, an abundant life despite our circumstances. God provides us endurance and encouragement in the race of life. And one of the means of endurance and encouragement is living in harmony with one another. Paul prays that the God of endurance and encouragement would grant them and us to live in such harmony with one another. It's a gift he gives his church. God provides his people the gift of harmony. And now that we understand that word harmony a little more musically, let's consider it here in its context and original wording. The original translation, the literal translation for the word harmony is to be of the same mind. We can have harmony because of our unity. When we're united in Christ, in the gospel, in our pursuit of the great commandment and the great commission, we're free to sing differing notes on secondary issues. May God help us learn to see, hear, and appreciate the beauty 
of brothers and sisters who sing different notes than we do. Living in harmony is a joyful thing, is it not? It's an encouraging thing. Think about how hard it is to, to live with or to be in a relationship with a person who's always contrary, arrogant, or overly critical. That's not encouraging. It's hard to endure that situation. And our Lord was not like that. Listen to Philippians 2, verses 1 through 5. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It goes on to say, though he was in the form of God, meaning though he is God, he didn't grasp his rights as God, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. There's a tie between living in harmony with one another and humility. It's hard to live in harmony and arrogance at the same time. When we count others more significant than ourselves, when we look to their good, their upbuilding, and their interests, harmony follows. And remember what Christ did. He is God. We have to be united on that. If we don't agree on that, we don't have unity. Jesus Christ is God, the second person of the Trinity. He has existed for all eternity, but he left heaven. He became a man. He died on a cross for his bride and for the glory of God. He did that for us. And we're going to cancel each other because of secondary theological beliefs, our views on politics or masks. We all struggle not to be a part of the cancel culture. So often we'll point out at the culture and say, it's that secular, worldly culture. They're the ones who cancel people. It's just as much in here as it is out there. If you don't know what I mean by cancel culture, it's just when you stop listening to someone you disagree with or to act as if they don't exist or anything that they have to say is irrelevant. In biblical language, maybe we could say it's when you murder someone in your heart. We do that as Christians. It's not just the culture. I've done it. I do it. You've done it. You do it. Do you refrain from listening to someone in this body or pursuing friendship or welcome with someone in this body or maybe some well-known pastor because you, you disagree with them on a secondary issue? Oh, that we would be marked by the humility of Christ that we would acknowledge that even as Christians, we're, we're still sinners. We're still all in process. God has provided His church harmony because He's provided Christ. Apart from the Gospel, we would all still be slaves to our own sin. And our kingdoms would continue to battle for dominance. And we could experience snippets of worldly harmony as long as our kingdom rules aren't broken. But true harmony with one another in the church only comes after we have harmony with God through Jesus Christ. 
and our sins are forgiven and we live for his kingdom and not our own. And that leads to the second point, the path of harmony, second half of verse 5, which says, in accord with Christ Jesus. The harmony we share is because of our unity on the path of Christ. This is the harmony God desires for his church. God doesn't want harmony to be primarily found in anything or anyone else. This new community that God is building called the church is according to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. We may be tempted to think God just, he looks down at mankind and just wants us to be united and harmonious about anything, world peace for the sake of world peace or unity for the sake of unity. There is unity and harmony that does not glorify God. Think about the Tower of Babel or the Third Reich or Satan and his demons. There is much unity in those things with no glory to God. The harmony God wants and gives that glorifies him is in accord with Jesus Christ. Accord means to be harmonious or consistent with, to bring into agreement or conformity. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6 says it like this, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called, to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We are Christians, little Christs, as that word means. We are to be the fragrance of Christ to the world. It's our path. And what's the purpose of that? Why this harmony that's in accord with Christ Jesus? Third point, the purpose of harmony, verse 6. The purpose of harmony with one another, the purpose of all of the one another's, the purpose of your life and my life, the purpose of the universe, the purpose of the new community is the glory of God. Verse 6, that together with one voice, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you guys know this and believe it, that there's no higher calling. There's no greater joy than living for the glory of God and his kingdom. And when we dwell in harmony together, it brings glory to God. When we get along as his children and when the outside world watches, we bring glory to God. My hope and prayer, even for maybe some of you in here right now who aren't Christians, is that the way we love one another in this church and live in harmony with one another would be a witness to you and to the watching world that our God is great. And when we don't live in harmony with one another, you or the world may be tempted to believe that our God isn't great. Even though he is, our behavior doesn't always reflect that. If you're visiting with us this morning and you're not a Christian, uh, because you've been treated badly by Christians, or you've seen them treat each other badly, not live in harmony with one another on their behalf, I want to apologize. Uh, if you've understood Christians and Christianity to be holier than thou, and we don't struggle with sin, and you need to straighten up and fly right, and we have it all together, I'm sorry. I think I can speak for every Christian in here. We're sinful people. I still every day have to put my kingdom to death. I don't live perfectly in accord with Christ Jesus, and that's why I need him. That's why I love being here every Sunday morning and every Thursday night with my community group. 
to remember the gospel of Jesus Christ to say, woe to me, I'm a sinner, but God, you've saved me and help me not live for my kingdom. That's why we gather so often. God has made a way for sinners to be saved through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. So if you're not there yet, you're welcome to join a group of imperfect people on the path to Zion. We'd love to help you walk there if you want to join us, but we're not perfect. It's about direction, not perfection. We don't always live perfectly in harmony. But that doesn't negate God's glory. He is glorious, and we're called to glorify Him together with one voice. A single piano is beautiful. A single violin or voice can be very beautiful, but a choir playing and singing in harmony is something to behold, and that's what we are to God when we live in harmony. And since we're called to live in harmony because it glorifies God, we should pursue it. We should pursue it together, and that leads to the fourth point, the pursuit of harmony, which is in verse 7. Verse 7 says this, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. To welcome one another, there's a few definitions, means to accept, to receive, to take as one's companion, to take or to receive into one's home. My favorite one is this, to grant someone access into your heart. Remember that one. What does welcome mean? To grant someone access to your heart. To take into friendship. We shouldn't fake this. I don't think we can fake this. And we should do this. We should welcome one another because Christ has welcomed us. He died for us, the Bible says, while we were still sinners. While we were devout God-haters. While we disagreed with God on primary doctrines, Romans 1 says we hated God. We worshiped and served creatures rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. While we were there, Christ died for us. This is an argument from the greater to the lesser. Since Christ did this for us, how much more should we welcome brothers or sisters for whom Christ died yet with whom we disagree on secondary issues. I want to finish Stephen and I's story. Stephen rightly felt like I threw him under the bus through a theological misunderstanding and my arrogance and the fear of man. I said, hey, I'm not going to plug in. And then, so then Dan and Stephen had to have some conversations because of my theological misunderstanding. And so I reached out to Stephen and said, well, hey, man, you know, Dan, Dan talked me off the ledge because I was on one of the ends of the pendulum, right? Talks me back to the middle. Reach out to Stephen. Try to figure it out. Hey, Stephen, can we get together? Address the elephant in the room. Stephen's like, I don't know, man. I feel like you threw me under the bus. I'm not sure I'm ready for that. And Dan encouraged us young men to get together with him in his office. And we did, and I'm so thankful we did. Um, I won't give you too many details, but I'll tell you this. Um, the gospel was lifted high, um, humble, genuine repentance, reconciliation, forgiveness was offered. The kingdom of God and his Christ was glorified, and the kingdoms of Chad and Stephen were re-raised to the ground. And we hugged after, finally got that hug, bro, and I see, 
And we learned so many lessons from that, you know? We, we, neither of us were assuming the best of the other. I was too afraid to have, to have a dialogue with him. And by God's grace, we reconciled. And I'm here. I'm here. Uh, if me and Stephen's sins had the final say, I wouldn't be here right now. I wouldn't be preaching. I wouldn't have all these new friends, especially Stephen. And what a bummer that would be for you guys. I'm kidding. What a bummer that would be for me. How thankful I am for this church body and to get to serve it as the pastoral intern. If all I get to be is a little tip of a fingernail on the body of Christ in this church, praise be to God. And I've made deep friends and the Lord has grown me and Audrey and our kids a lot in just eight months here. Stephen and I are great friends. We get along well. We lift weights at the same gym. We were making fun of each other this week. I was making fun of him this week. And that's how guys show love to each other. We, we have fruitful ministry together. I believe the student ministry is going great. High school on Sunday nights and middle school on Wednesday nights. We work well together. We still have theological conversations to have. But we're at a different place now. We assume the best of each other. We've, we've offered welcome and friendship. And we're both trying to live for the, the kingdom of God and not our own kingdoms. I don't tell... Stephen and I's story because I think we're heroes or because I like talking about myself. Actually, I hope you know the point was that we're not heroes. Jesus Christ is the hero. If it weren't for his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, our kingdoms would have just continued to battle. But he, he saved us from our sins. He gave us a new heart to live for him. I wonder what you, Christian, are missing out on because you won't pursue harmony with someone in this body because of a secondary difference. Are you assuming the worst of someone? Or are you attributing motivations? That hurts so bad, doesn't it, when someone attributes motivations to you? Are you too scared to address the elephant in the room? As Westerners, we can't escape our paradigm of rights, especially as Americans. We have rights. And people died for those rights. And we're going to hold on to them like white knuckles. I hope for those of you who follow Jesus in here, that you acknowledge that you're more Christian than you are American. And you realize that the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ has freed you to lay down your rights like he did. Remember Philippians 2. He left heaven to come for us. And we're called to do the same thing for each other. The way forward is not to not talk about disagreements, to agree to disagree and move on with our lives, and there's that awkward elephant in the room that we're both too afraid to address. As we studied together this week, Dan described to us a book he read that differentiated between discussion, debate, and dialogue. We define discussion as happy-clappy when you're talking about the weather or the avalanche winning the Stanley Cup. Debate we defined as Hulk mode. When you're debating, you're just, I, I, you're wrong, I'm right, and I'm going to prove it, and I'm going to win the argument. And then dialogue was seeking to understand one another. And it was a good reminder. And I actually remember learning that principle in my premarital counseling. How to fight well with your wife, Chad, is to dialogue 
to seek to understand Audrey, not to go out to win the arguments and make sure she knows she's wrong. So Windsor Community Church, let's seek to dialogue with one another. And this takes a heart posture that could be illustrated by two birds. I heard this as a young Christian, and it's stuck with me ever since. Think about the difference between vultures and hummingbirds. Vulture is a scavenger, and we could say it, it, it's so gross, it's on the inside, it's ugly on the outside, because it's always looking for death, isn't it? Just looking for dead things, I'm going to go eat off of this dead thing. And then a hummingbird, what's a hummingbird looking for? For flowers. And if you have a hummingbird feeder at your house, it's looking for sugary water. I don't share that illustration or preach any sermon to say, now, now figure out who the vultures are in your life and happy bird hunting this week. That's not the point of any sermon. Thank you for saying that this week. Where, where are you being a vulture? Chad, where, where am I being a vulture, looking for death, being arrogant and hyperly critical? Where am I not pursuing welcome and friendship and sweetness like a hummingbird? I don't want to be a vulture. Imagine a church full of hummingbirds. What, what an encouragement and endurance that would provide us and what glory it brings to God. Brothers and sisters, God has provided his church harmony. It's on the path. It's in accord with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Its primary purpose is to glorify God, and it's also a means of our endurance and encouragement. Therefore, by the grace of God, may we pursue harmony with one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for just what your word did in me this week. And I pray you would have done that in your people this morning. Help us pursue harmony. Help us glorify you by doing that and receive your gift of harmony. Lord, we declare that we're united in Christ and in the gospel and the forgiveness of sins and repentance and true and abundant life in Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would use Windsor Community Church to glorify your name. And I pray that your people have learned uh, from Stephen and I's story. And I pray for any in here who, who need to seek harmony with an, a brother or sister in this body, that they would do so this week for your glory. We love you, Lord, and pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.